Dear Fathers, we come before you today. Truly we pray that uh, you will help us to understand the way you have worked in history and what you will do in the future and that we will learn of how we should live before you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what are you sure about uh, in life? Is there, is there anything you can be sure about? Uh, is there anything you can be sure about in this world? And exactly what can you be sure about? Because uh, really, uh, there's very little, if you reflect on life, that you can be really sure about. Uh, I mean, it used to be that you could be very sure that if you put your money in the US dollars, they will never go down. But unfortunately, that's not true. And uh, I used to say, you know, if you put your money in property, oh, then it can never go down as well. Uh, and that hasn't been proved to be the case. And I remember when I was a, a little boy, uh, actually, I, I'm not sure how small I was, but I think I was less than 10, definitely. My dad said to me, oh, you know, you got all the Ang Pao money in your POSB bank, right? We should do something with it, you know? He said, I, I tell you, we'll put it in gold. It's a sure thing. The gold will never, will never depreciate. So anyway, he took all my money from the POSB and put it in gold. And sure enough, I lost half of it. Okay, so there's no such thing as a sure thing in this world, isn't it? I mean, we're not sure of our health, we're not sure of a good life, we're not even sure whether we'll get up the next morning. But if you look at today's passage in Malachi chapter 4, which is the last uh, chapter of Malachi that we've been looking at, uh, look at how it begins. Uh, God says in chapter 4 verse 1, Surely the day is coming and it will burn like a furnace and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left of them. Now the word here, surely, uh, actually if you have an ESV Bible, I don't know for those of you who are using a different version, it has the word behold. And uh, that, that word uh, actually means literally uh, that something is definitely going to happen soon. Uh, there's a nearness to it and there's the idea of certainty. That's why in the different versions, uh, the NIV and the ESV, it translates it differently. One says surely and the other one says behold. Because that word in the original language has the idea of something is definitely going to come and it's going to happen soon. But what is this day that is uh, spoken about here in chapter 4 verse 1? What is the day that is coming? Well, we have to look back to chapter 3. Because in chapter 3 it spoke of all about this day. So if you look up here on the screen, okay, we're going to be actually going back and forth a lot uh, through the whole Bible today because I think this book that we're looking at, the book of Malachi, as we've said before, it's the last book of the Old Testament, and actually it bridges and it spans between the Old Testament and the New. And last week we saw in chapter 3 that God said there is a day that is coming, and this day is of His coming. He is coming to mankind on that day. It says in verse 2 of chapter 3, but who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire or launderous soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And the Lord will men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. Uh, I'll be quick to testify against the sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who deport laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, who deprive the aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So that's the context of this day that is being spoken of here in chapter 4, verse 1. This is the day of God's coming. And as we saw in chapter 3, and as we see here in chapter 4, it is the day where God comes in His judgment. Now, 
I'm, I'm not sure whether you're aware of this, but when you look at um, uh, the Bible, you see all those chapter numbers and the headings and the verse numbers? Uh, actually, those weren't there in the original uh, Bible text. Uh, those were added much later uh, by uh, people who translated the Bible as an aid to us, as a help to us, to help us find our ways for the Bible. And sometimes it makes things easier. Uh, sometimes it helps us. But I think that today, actually, you'll see that uh, it really doesn't help us very much because chapter 3 is really all flowing all the way into chapter 4 and it's all connected together. Because God really wants His people, He wants His readers, to know that He is certainly coming. And the context of Him wanting to, be, to impress upon us that He's definitely coming was because last week, as we read in chapter 3, God's people were saying very harsh things against God, very hard things against God, uh, very arrogant things against God. So last week we read in chapter 3, verse 13, right? Uh, chapter 3, verse 13 and 15, uh, God's people were saying, You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, What have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. Uh, what do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, and certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. So last week we saw that the context or the mood of God's people was that they were complaining to God and they were saying very hard things against God. They were saying, why should we serve God? Why should we obey His requirements? Why should we mourn and repent of sin? What is the point? Right? It's, a, it's futile, it's a worthless, it's a waste of time. There is no profit, no gain from it. And God had responded, uh, next slide, by saying there is a point, there is profit in serving God and following His commandments and mourning about sin. Because he says that for those who fear the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard, a scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured His name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, again, in that day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So, now you understand why God wants to impress upon the reader or the listener the certainty that He's going to come again. Because God's people were saying it is not worth following God anymore. Right? The evil doers prosper. Uh, God, the people who challenge God, they get away with it scot-free. Why should we keep serving God? And God says, in that day it will be clear. Because those who are my people will be like my crown jewels. Remember last week, we said the treasure possession here literally means like uh, you become God's crown jewels, His valuables. And He will spare you. You will be part of His family. You will see a distinction between the wicked and those who are not wicked, and those who serve God and those who do not. And I think uh, that comes to our first application, isn't it? Because if God is saying that He will do something, He will do something. He's not like ourselves where we say, no, I'll, I'll meet you for a movie at uh, 7 o'clock. But then, for whatever reason, I don't turn up. Maybe I die or I get knocked down by a car. The bus is de- delayed. The MRT is stalled or whatever. But when God says He's going to do something, He's going to do something. He will do it. And that's why it's so sad, you know, because as a pastor, many times I go to funerals and you, you find that someone is unprepared for the day of the Lord. Uh, we prepare for many things in this life. We prepare for our exams, we prepare for marriage, we, we prepare for retirement, we prepare for work. 
But God says, the most important thing that you need to prepare for is to prepare for the day of His coming, the day of the Lord. Because in this passage, He says that if you're not prepared for God's coming, then what will it be like in verse 1? He says there, it will burn like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire. Now, I guess uh, we are not agricultural people. Uh, anybody know what stubble is? Anybody touched stubble recently? No, stubble is literally straw or, or shaft or whatever is left over when you, uh, when you are uh, getting the grain. Okay, now I'm sure many of you eat cornflakes or eat bread, right? Okay, that, that's not the, the natural form. Okay, uh, it's actually manufactured right, in some factory somewhere. But the natural form of cornflakes and, and bread is actually corn. And how do they extract that corn? Well, if you have a look up here on the slide, okay, this is a uh, lesson for today. Uh, the corn is actually uh, come in all these long stalks. And what happens is they cut down the stalks and then they throw it all on the ground and they throw up uh, the remainder of uh, the, the, the dried stalk and then the heavier uh, grain heads fall down to the ground and then the rest of it you see all the stuff that's flying up there? It blows away in the wind. And this is what it looks like, okay, the remainder. I don't know what they can see, but it's like, you know, pieces of straw, uh, the husk. Uh, next slide. Okay, you can see the little husk bits. You know, imagine, I don't know, when you see your rice, right? You, you know, when you get your bag of rice. Uh, again, that's actually what's left over. Right? I mean, there's usually a husk of it. You know, if you eat brown rice, there's sometimes a husk that you find in your food. Well, that's what's left over. So what he's saying is that when a really hot fire meets stubble or straw or, or husk or shave, what happens? It burns really violently. Okay, the whole point of it is that uh, he's saying that those who are not prepared for the day of God's coming, you are like shaft, you are like straw, you are like stubble. When the heat of that day meets you, you will be burnt up. And he goes on to say, right, that not a root or a branch will be left of them. Okay, now the, 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 the picture, the metaphor changes. And he's basically saying that the, the destruction, the judgment on that day will be complete. Uh, now, again, we're not very good at you know, all this agricultural thing. But I, I know that when I was in Australia, I had a very small garden and I tried weeding. You know, you weed your garden. In Australia, you do everything, but in Australia, you know, Singapore, maybe you get the gardener to do it, right? But, you know, in Australia, you try to weed. But the problem is, when you weed, the very next week, the weeds grow again. And why is that? Because the roots, you can never get rid of the roots. You know, the roots are always there. But he's saying that on that day, there will be nothing left. Because this furnace will burn it up. So again, when I was living in Australia, uh, uh, I remember I experienced a bushfire. Actually, I didn't experience it. I was on one side of the... Sydney Harbour and there was a bushfire on the other side and it was so hot you could feel the heat and the ashes were blowing across Sydney Harbour and uh, this is what it looks like okay this is like a bushfire I got it off the internet next slide right, so he's saying on this great day of fire there will be nothing left because if you are like straw and shaft and stubble you will be burnt up uh, the root and the branches will all be gone now uh, I know, especially during Christmas time, this might seem like a very politically incorrect message 
talk about judgment, especially when we talk about the birth of Jesus. But I can't help but feel that when you look at chapter 4, verse 1, that's what God is saying, isn't it? When He says, surely this day is coming. This day of judgment is coming. And it's going to burn like a furnace. So the answer to God is not to say, well, God, you know, that's not really nice. I don't like to hear that sort of stuff. It's not really fair. I've got other things to do in my life. What does the logical person do when he knows that something is going to happen? The logical thing is, if you know something is going to happen, you get ready for it, you get prepared for it. And I think that's what chapter 4 is trying to impress upon the people of Malachi and the people of today. Surely the day of God's coming is, is going to come. Are you ready for it? Because if you're not ready, then you'll be burnt up like straw and shaved and stubble when it meets a very hot flame. Because for the person who is ready, there is another side to the day of God's coming. And look at what it says there in verse 2. Verse 2, uh, if you have your Bibles, it would be good if you follow with me. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And then you will trample down the wicked, and there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. So, the day actually brings two outcomes. Um, for the person who is unprepared, one outcome is extreme heat and destruction. But for those who, it says they revere my name, there is a different outcome. Now, what does it mean to revere God's name in verse 2? Well, this word revere here literally means fear God. Fear God. That's what revere means. It's the idea of fear. Okay, so, again, next slide. Uh, Linking back to chapter 3, we've seen the idea of those who fear or revere God. Okay, it says there in verse 5 of chapter 3, I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Then those who fear the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. Now for those who fear God, these people, right, those who revere God, that day will not bring a furnace of destruction. But it says there, it says there, in verse uh, 2, right, the sun of righteousness will rise with healings in its wings. Now, the sun of righteousness here is not Jesus. Okay, it's, it's not spelled S-O-N. It is, uh, sorry, S-O-N. It is spelled S-U-N. The sun of righteousness. And what he's, gonna, what he's trying to say here is, it is a new day. You know when the sun rises? What is that? It's a new day. But this new day will bring righteousness of it. Uh, they are living in a time of wickedness. They are living in a time of evil. But when, the, when God comes again, it will be a new day where there will be righteousness everywhere. And there will be healing uh, on that day, healing in its wings. Uh, now, I don't think that there will be many birds there called healing, right? But rather, it's, it's a contrast with the destruction. Instead of destruction, there is healing on that day. 
there is restoration and wholeness. But how will the people respond when they see this new day? Well, look at what it says there. It says there in uh, verse 2b, the people will go out and they'll leap like calves released from the stall. Now, again, I'm not sure whether we really uh, understand that picture or not. Um, I, uh, had any of you uh, seen a calf recently? You know what a calf is? It's a baby cow, right? Okay? Um, and I guess we, we haven't seen many of them released from uh, a stall. Uh, I guess the closest illustration I can have is my dog. Okay? That's the closest. I guess for us as uh, urban dwellers, that's the closest animal we ever deal with, right? Pet dogs. So I remember when I picked up my uh, pet, dog, pet dog from the SPCA. Okay, I went to SPCA many times to pick up my pet dog with my children and my wife. And my dog was always very, very frisky because in the cage, uh, in the SPCA, they, they keep it in the cage you know, 23 hours every day. And then they just take it for one long walk in the morning. Okay, so I remember the very first time uh, we took the dog out of the cage. Why oh, it was crazy, you know. Like it was a mad dog. Like it was running around in circles in the yard. It was rolling around on its back on the grass. Because that was, it felt such joy in being free from, from the cage. And that's what, that's what God is saying on that day. If you fear God, that's what you'll feel like. You'll feel great joy and release and happiness. That's, that's what he's trying to say. That's, that's how we will feel if you fear God. Now, isn't that wonderful? Uh, that you will feel that way. Because God will set you free. God will set you free from all the wickedness and suffering in this world. Now, I like uh, what one person said. Uh, He said, those who fear the Lord don't have to be afraid of that day. Isn't that really true? That's so profound. If you fear God, then you don't have to be afraid of the day when He comes. Because on that day that He comes, there will be great joy for you instead. Now one thing I really, really want to get you to pay attention to is that when we think of uh, what the Bible says, we always think, oh, the good person, he is the one who will be saved on the day of the Lord. And the bad person, oh yeah, that person is going to be burned up. But pay attention to what the Bible says. Always pay attention to what the Bible says because we don't think like God. And uh, this is what it says. Next slide. Look what it says. Who, who are the two types of people that God mentions? He says that one group of people are those who are arrogant. And there's another group of people who revere or fear God. See, God's people... I want you to notice if you look at this passage very carefully, right? Those who revere God are not perfect. They are not sinless. Uh, they are not spotless. Okay? They, they, their only characteristic is that they fear God. They revere God. Uh, I think that's a, it's, it's a very important thing that we've got to keep reminding ourselves. God's people are first and foremost those who fear God. And because they fear God, then they will serve Him, they will try to follow His law, and they will mourn for their sin. Pay very close attention to chapter 3. It says there, 
that God, God's people, those who fear Him, God says, I will spare them just as a father spares his son. Now think about that for a second because if you're a good person, if you're a righteous person, you don't need to be spared. You deserve to go to heaven. You have a right to go to heaven because you're perfect, you're righteous. But God says that those who fear Him will be spared on that day. You know, I remember uh, in Australia again, I don't know why I got so many illustrations from Australia today, but uh, there's this, uh, they, they, in the churches, they always have a signboard. They don't have that in Singapore, but if you ever go to, I don't know, England or Australia, they have these signboards, big signboards, you know, they tell you what church it is, what time they meet. You know, it's just a little blurb at the bottom, you know, Jesus Christ loves the world, or Merry Christmas or something like that. So on this very popular street in Australia and Broadway, uh, they have a church which is opposite a pub. A pub is a place which, is a place which sells alcohol. And every week, uh, the church and the pub would exchange notices on the board because outside the pub as well, they also have notices. You know how much a beer is, happy hour, everything, right? And it's become so famous that they actually have it in the newspaper. So the pub had a sign which says, this pub is for drinkers. And then the church across the road on Broadway said, this church is for sinners, right? And I think that's the idea that's coming through here, isn't it? That, that God's people are not perfect, they're sinners, but they fear God. But the opposite is that those who are against God are characterized as arrogant. They're arrogant. Now, what does it mean to be arrogant? Uh, arrogant means to be proud. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, said that to be arrogant or proud is the complete anti-God frame of mind. Because if you're an arrogant person, if you're a, a proud person, then you do not see that God is greater than you. God has no say in your life. You, you do not have to feel that you have any authority to answer to. You don't need to ask or beg God for His grace and mercy. And that's why the arrogant does wicked and evil things. Because the arrogant person doesn't recognize the authority of God. That person doesn't see the need to serve God. Doesn't see the need to obey God and His law and His requirements. He doesn't feel the need or she doesn't feel the need to mourn or repent of their sins. So, again, coming back to a funeral. If you go to a funeral sometimes, uh, in the eulogy, people say, such and such, this person was a good person. They did this, they did that, you know, what they did in all their life. But according to uh, Malachi chapter 4, it really doesn't matter whether you're a good or bad person. It depends on whether you have a relationship with God. And you only have a relationship with God if you fear God. If you're proud and arrogant before God and you think you're greater than God and He's not the authority in your life, it doesn't matter how good you are because the day of the Lord will still be a day of judgment before you. So do you fear God? Really genuinely fear God? In your thoughts, in your actions, in your deeds? in every way that you live. Now, it then goes on to say, in uh, verse 4, right, it says, uh, a really strange thing, it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb 
from all Israel. Um, now, many people don't understand why this uh, little verse is here. If you look up on the slide, it's like a hamburger. The next slide, right? Okay, I don't know if you can see the red. I tried to make it the same color as the bun and the meat, right? But I couldn't find the right color. Okay, but it's like a hamburger. It seems like the bun on top says, you know, talks about the day of the Lord. Then there's this little verse there which talks about remembering the law. Then there's a the bottom bun which again comes back to the day of the Lord. So, squashed between the bun uh, is this idea that they must keep remembering God because that's an expression of how they fear God. But we'll come back to that later. Just remember this hamburger, okay? Because we will see that it's important later on. But in verse 5, uh, he says a, a very similar thing to the beginning of chapter 4, right? The word here, see, uh, again, same word as chapter 4, verse 1, the idea of behold or surely. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, the first section, the first top bun, right, talks about what's going to happen on the day of the Lord. The bottom bun of the burger talks about um, who will come before this great day of the Lord. And who will come? Well, it says there in verse 5, the prophet Elijah will come. Now, the prophet Elijah lived many hundreds of years ago uh, before Malachi was written. Um, and he was a great prophet. You can read about him in 1 Kings, chapter 17 to 19. Right? And what was he like? Well, uh, in verse 36 here of chapter 18, uh, this will give you an idea of what the prophet Elijah was like. All right? uh, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God of Israel, you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, you say, Ah, this looks very familiar. Because in Malachi, chapter 5, 4, verse 6, he says that this prophet Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and their children back to their fathers. Now, possibly, uh, Malachi is talking about, you know, nuclear families, you know, my kids and, and I, right? You know, bring us back into a good relationship. Um, but I don't think... But I don't think uh, it's so much turning nuclear families back to, uh, to each other. But I think it's talking about how God is going to bring His people into a right relationship with Him like His forefathers, like their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And He says, look, when this prophet Elijah comes, you better get ready. You better get ready because the day of the Lord will be coming very soon and if you don't listen, I will strike the land of a curse. Now, um, as I prepare sermons, especially in the Old Testament, I use a very good book. I was going to bring it, but uh, it's really big and heavy. It's about this big, right? Bigger than a telephone directory. And uh, it's called um, the, New Testament, um, uh, the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. That means in every time that the New Testament uses a section of the Old Testament, 
uh, this book, we'll look at it and discuss it. So, it's a huge book. It's about this big, right? Okay, it's bigger than the palm of my hand. And when I looked at, at uh, this book concerning Malachi chapter 4, there were so many references. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I've got a lot of work to do for this sermon. Right? I've got to check out all these references. But as I was going through it, I was thinking, actually Malachi chapter 4 is probably one of the most quoted parts of the Old Testament and New. And the New Testament is always quoting, especially in the Gospels, Malachi chapter 4. And why does it do that? Why does it keep quoting Malachi chapter 4? Because I think the New Testament is telling us that the day of the Lord is coming very, very soon. Okay, and how does that happen? Well, I, I want you to concentrate your mind for a second. It would be good if you got a pen and your Bible open. Maybe you can write down the references on your outline because I'm not going to go through all these passages really closely. But if you look at it yourself, it will, it will actually impress upon you just how certain the day of the Lord is coming. So remember what it says there, okay? Keep in mind Malachi chapter 4. The prophet Elijah is going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, uh, first slide. So Mark chapter 9, verse 11-13, Jesus says, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restore all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man might suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they have wished, just as it is written about him. In Luke chapter 7, After John's messengers left, uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in the palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? No, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Yes, sorry, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before me. So John the Baptist is the Elijah figure who has come to prepare the way for the day of the Lord. But John the Baptist is not uh, Elijah reincarnated. Um, uh, The Bible doesn't believe in reincarnation. Uh, But what it's actually saying as we understand the New Testament is that someone who fulfills the role of the prophet Elijah, who is, in every sense, like the prophet Elijah in the way that he acts and speaks, he will come and prepare the way for the day of the Lord. So, if you look up here in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 21, right? Uh, John the Baptist was asked, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. See, he's saying that he's not physically Elijah. You know, his name is not Elijah. His name is John. His nickname is the Baptist. But he comes and does the things of John, uh, sorry, Elijah. He, is the, the, he fulfills the, the office of the prophet Elijah. So Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Right? Next slide. Okay. Look at what it says at the birth of John the Baptist. Okay, uh, John the Baptist was born, and before he was born, the angel came to tell him, uh, came not tell him, tell his parents what he would do with his life. Okay, the angel said to him, the father, right, 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what does the power and the spirit of Elijah do? To turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, John the Baptist is not Elijah but he he does the things that Elijah would have done. He fulfills the prophet uh, Elijah's office. But, again in the Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, God warned and foretold that if the people failed to respond, He would curse the Lamb. And again, in the New Testament, it says that the people failed to turn back to God. They failed to turn their hearts back to God. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, these are Jesus' words again. Right? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. But if you are willing to accept that he is the Elijah who was to come, he who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he was a demon. He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he, is, he has a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, now, uh, you could actually preach a whole sermon on this passage, but it's, it, it basically says that the people are arrogant. See, they're arrogant because they play the tune. And they expect John the Baptist and Jesus to dance to their tune. Right? They call the shots and they expect Jesus and John the Baptist to follow. Right? They are not fearing God. They are arrogant before God. And therefore they have no time for uh, God's messenger, John the Baptist. And neither Jesus, God's son. Matthew chapter 17 says, The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but they did not recognize him. But I have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, uh, you have to take your time to actually go through all those passages. But even, there are actually more passages than that. But even just looking at that sample, you can see that 500 years after the prophet Malachi spoke, God's word was actually fulfilled in John the Baptist's coming. He was the Elijah to come. And Jesus actually comes as the Lord. And the day of the Lord has already started to begin and will be fulfilled again when Jesus comes in judgment. And I think the whole idea of, of, of me taking you through the, all the New Testament passages right, is to show you, show you that the day of the Lord is already moving there. You can't stop it. Right? It's, it's there. Nothing is going to stop its progress. Nothing is going to stop its coming. If you look at Luke chapter 3, right? Luke, chapter three uh, Luke himself records that, that uh, John says the same thing, that the process of the day of the Lord has already begun and nothing can stop it. And all you can do is get ready for it. 
John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, the, the picture of fire again. Huh? The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come whose thongs of whose sandals I'm, I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Spirit and with the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Alright, so John the Baptist says that Jesus actually is the one who comes and with his winnowing fork he's already clearing the wheat and he's separating the wheat from the shaft and the stubble and the husk and they will be destroyed by fire. So, the process of the day of the Lord will surely come. But the question is, are we ready for him? And there are no more second chances, there are no more messengers, no more Elijahs to come. So are we ready for him? If you have not accepted Jesus in your heart today, if you do not revere God and you do not fear him, then your soul is in jeopardy. And today is a day where you can you can actually turn to him and actually know him in a real way. Now I was uh don't look forward to going to the dentist. I don't know, is anybody here who looks forward to going to the dentist? Uh, well, it's a very rare person who, uh, who does, right? But what imagine if you could change your dental appointment and make it an appointment to, uh, if you're a woman, to go shopping. Or if you're a man, to, I don't know, go fishing. Or watching golf or something. Or, you know, do something else. But that's what's happening, isn't it? Because if you are not ready for the day of the Lord, it's going to be an extremely, extremely unpleasant experience. But, but God is giving you a warning that if you fear Him, if you revere Him, it will become transformed from what would be the most unpleasant experience in the world to one of the most pleasant experiences in eternity. So, to me, it's a no-brainer. Right? Get ready for the day of the Lord. Now, if you're a Christian, and you really fear and revere God, I think Malachi is, is a great wake-up call to us and, and, and a, sort of a way of asking us whether we are truly fearing God in every way. Now, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, right, it speaks again of the day of the Lord. And, um, and look what it says there. It says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Okay, there are no more warnings, no more messengers, right? Elijah has already come. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping of His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Very similar to the idea of the sun of righteousness rising, right? So then, dear friends, 
Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with Him. Okay? So, I remember at the beginning I said the hamburger diagram will come in useful. So, next slide. So, this is the hamburger thing, isn't it? You fear God. You revere God. But at the same time, because you revere and fear God, live holy lives before Him. And isn't that what Malachi was saying? The day of the Lord is coming. Remember the law of God. The day of the Lord is coming. 2 Peter 3 says the same thing. So, if you already believe in Jesus, you fear God, then let us, let us live holy lives and righteous lives before Him because we fear Him. We know it is worthwhile to serve Him. Uh, we know there is profit to keep His commandments. We know that is, it is right to mourn for our sins. So, today as we uh, we are here a few weeks from Christmas, are we ready for the day of the Lord? It's going to come suddenly, like it says in 2 Peter, like a thief. You never know when the thief is coming. Are you ready for it? Because that day, on that day, there will be no second chances. And uh, I hope that everyone here who hears Malachi chapter 4 will take that warning seriously. For twice, verse 1 and verse 4, verse 5, sorry, he says, Surely, behold, there is a certainty, there is a nearness to it. And we need to get ready for that day urgently. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear fathers, we come before you today. We pray that your word will be taken seriously, that we will not be trivial and flippant about it, that we will not be complacent, that we will not put it off, but that we will see that your day is surely coming, that your character as a God is a God who is faithful to his word, and that if we are not right before you today for whatever reason, we pray that you will make us right. We pray that we will make every effort to be right with you. That we will not be arrogant and put ourselves above you, but we will be fearing you and that we will let your authority rest upon our life. That we will serve you, we will obey your word, that we will mourn for our sin and repent of it, and that we will come to you in Jesus, knowing that you will spare us as your children. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.